and welcome to Sarah Sessions, sessions that have conversations that heal my soul um, as the center of what we offer to you. Today, I'm talking to certified leadership coach, keynote speaker and facilitator, Concordia TED Talks speaker, as well as author of Happy People Work Harder, Garen Chemian, Jemian. How do we say that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that's fine. It's, uh, it's Jamian. Jamian. Okay. Yep. And I've been interested in having this conversation because we've had quite a few conversations in the past that were very healing, very deep, and very interesting. And I thought maybe it'd be nice for our viewers, I guests, to listen in and see what they can pick up on this because I find you very inspiring and I find you very enriching in my life and perhaps other people can find that as well. Um, what would you say has brought you to, well, first of all, let's start with this. What would you consider success and happiness to be? What is that definition for you? <laughs> <laughs> let's start big. <laughs> Success or happiness? Pick one. <laughs> success. How about that? Um, I think for many, success would be to feel happy. And then you have to dig into that. Um, so it's almost kind of one and the same. <laughs> what is to be successful? I guess it's to be happy and to not need anything um, and, and to have all, all our needs uh, taken care of. For me, I think success is... Uh, Um, might be synonymous with purpose or maximizing our potential. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what's the best version of me and how can I be uh, using my full potential to add value to society? And you feel that sometimes you're not fully aligned with what you're, what you're doing. So you feel like you're delivering value, but it's maybe at 60% or 80%. And when all the little combinations are just set to the right numbers, life unlocks and you're living your full potential. You're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing by leveraging what you're great at, what drives you, what you care about, and and while supporting your values. So success is all of that. And if you can do that, at least professionally and with a sense of meaning, you would achieve that portion of happiness. So in other words, something that becomes your vocation, that becomes your passion, your driving force. Um, brings upon the success you are looking for to fulfill that desire of feeling purposeful. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and again, s success is simply defined as the achievement of an objective. And so mm -hmm. when I heard success, I'm thinking success should be along the lines of professional success, but then there's life success, there's relationship success, there's health success, there's spirituality success. Success. Right. There's excitement success. There's sexual success. There's legacy success. There's blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> so yeah. sex is, success is so big. It just means reaching your goal. So I yeah. I know that you um, wrote a book called Happy People Work Harder, and mm. part of that book you actually talk about that. Can you mm. tell us a little more about that? Because um, it seems I I. 
hear similarities to what I remember reading in that book, which was fantastic and strongly advise it to anybody that is looking to increase their um, work relationships and quality of life and happiness. But what what is that book all about? How did that come about? That book was um, kind of like the Coles notes for my leadership um, clients who would keep asking me, Hey man, do you have notes from the session? <laughs> and I was like, can't you just take your own notes? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, it, and if you read the book, you'll notice there's, there's no fluff. It's extremely short. It's straight yeah. to the point. It's almost like bullet points. Kind of like if you had to take uh, notes in class of what the teacher was talking about, that's what the book is. And it, it covers, um, basics of it focuses on motivation because most leaders are asking that question how do i motivate my team how do i motivate myself and what's this all about and so it carries the reader through what is motivation the history of motivation in the workplace um what drives people and how do we define um fulfillment contentment or happiness in life so uh it delves into something um we call the life wheel it's just a simple way of breaking down your life into categories and then kind of gauging how fulfilled you are with each of those. And so that section I think is what you're referring to as in how do we use almost a, a scientific approach or a methodical uh, approach uh, to uh, defining happiness. And so you break down your life into the categories that matter you gauge how you are on each one and you get to know what's working, what's not, where's the pain points, where's the, where's the happy points, what's driving you. And um, the rest of the book basically connects that to leadership, to coaching style of leadership and, and beyond. So it's, that's in a nutshell what the book's about. And I'm, I'm going to add that I read the book and it's not only for organizations and it shouldn't just be a resource for uh, team building uh, skills and motivation, but it should be a resource for everybody out there because I found it so straight to the point, so um, clear of fluff and so rich in insight and eureka moments when I was reading it that um, I think any individual out there that's actually trying to add a little something to their own life um, can definitely benefit from reading. Um, so would you say you're, would you say you are happy? Let's start with that. Because <laughs> we talked about success and happiness, right? And so you said success is, mm. and what about happiness for you? Is it? Let me, start, let me start by compiling a list of words that are extremely misleading, undefined, um, yes. overused. Please. Um, and and downright get on my fucking nerves. Excuse my yes, language. Please. Um, Absolutely. Love, passion, happy, success. Um, you know, um, all of those Hollywoodized themes only make it more difficult to achieve these things. And so, success. When you think of success, you're thinking of money. You're thinking of fame. Fortune. If you're a guy, you're thinking of women and boats and cars. If you're a woman, you might be thinking of other luxuries. The point is that success leads our minds to go in a certain direction. And all success freaking means 
is achieving what you want in the first place. Mm -hmm. Happiness. Are you happy? Ask anyone that question and everyone's going to be like, uh, I guess so. What are you referring to? So success is relative to what the objective is. And happiness has to be relative to what the objective is. Happiness being a state of fulfillment with a current situation. Do I feel happy right now? I feel great. Why? Because the sun is a big piece of my happiness. And so if the sun's up, there's already, you know, I'm at 50% happy. I'm healthy. I'm at 80% happy. Communicating and talking about rich topics like this, I'm at 90% happy. Mm. You know, got a warm cup of java. I'm like at 95. What's missing now? I don't know. Maybe less gray hair. And even then. And even then. So happy, (laughs) happy sucks. Happy sucks because it's, it's the carrot on the stick. So what would you recommend people to exchange these words and this mindset of, oh, you have to do this to be successful or you have to find your vocation and, you know, be purposeful or be of service or have something that passions you for your work or, you know, these, these things, exactly. These Hollywood terms that we hear a lot. Uh, everybody yeah. talking I'll about take it almost everything coaches. you said and put it together except one piece mm-hmm. aim to maximize your potential mm. aim to be the most authentic version of yourself and then offer that to the world you want to call that vocation you want to call that career success you want to call that fulfillment it doesn't matter but the point is if you want to feel fulfilled with yourself and your life and feel like you're leaving behind a legacy or just fulfilled right fulfilled the cup is full then you must maximize that possibility, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If, 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 you know, whatever value you're going to add to the world, that's what purpose is. Purpose is an interdependence. The concept of purpose is that there's one thing adding value to another, and it's helping that element achieve some form of outcome. The pen and the paper, the chair and the human, the mm-hmm. cup and the liquid. There's, there's this relationship. Humans need that relationship. Otherwise, we're purposeless. We're aimless. Yeah. But everything else that you mentioned, the whole, you know, um, the passion, the love, the happiness, the ultra success and all of these. The money, the consumerism, fantastic expectations, the houses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And here's the kicker is that in my line of work, when I help people line up who they are with what they do. Happiness comes, success comes, and everything else comes with it. It just comes. Would you say that that is what we hear most coaches do nowadays? We We fear? What's that? We hear most Mm. coaches. Like, there's there's a lot of, I I find that there's a lot of coaching out there uh, in, in brackets. And I've come to have this. Um, cynicism, yeah, 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 coaching because just say it. It's, so a, hack. People, it's a hack. Yeah, it's a hack. It's a freaking hack you know, because you can it, pretty much take a business card and put your name and the word coach, and then go on an Instagram channel and huzzah, you're a coach and you help people reach their potential. And you ask yourself, w- w- how do I differentiate the fluff from actual substance? It's interesting because there's a lot of people that keep on telling me, but Sarah, you're a coach, but why don't you tell everybody you're a coach? Why don't you? And I'm like, 
yeah, no, there's something that just feels wrong about that, even though a lot of people yeah. do it. And I yeah. completely, you know, I respect that. I'm not wanting to take anything away from that. And a lot of people, it works for them. But I mean, what's your take on this? Because it seems like you are really helping people uh, reintegrate those, not only those values, but those authentic, fulfilling desires of being of service and of uh, getting that satisfaction of having um, contributed to a world that they live in. Not necessarily my world or your world, but in the world that we each live in. It's a very different world. Every mm -hmm. person that we meet encompasses a completely different world. And so where do you think this is going and what do you think we could do to, yeah, I'm gonna let you go with that. Because there's a lot of questions there. That <laughs> yeah, I heard about seven itself. questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, that's enough. Uh, Let's try that. Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying I think the intention is good behind anyone who says they, they are a coach or want to be a coach. Because a coach is someone who focuses their energy, attention, um, on helping another person achieve their desired outcomes, their goals. Period. That's what a coach is. I help you achieve your outcomes your goals, your objectives. Um, the problem happens is that everyone wants to get in on it. And most people reach out to me. They're like, where do you start? How do you get into this stuff? Um, and this is where some people might tell me to go F myself. And this is where other people are going to say, you know what, Garen, we're happy that you're an ambassador for this simply because there's, there's, there's two camps, people who take this seriously and people who don't. And the people who take this seriously will actually go into studying this turning this into their life's work, the science and the art. For instance, there is something called the International Coach Federation. It's like a non-authoritative governing entity over the sacred art and science of coaching. However, unlike the bar, unlike you know the, the medical community, unlike um, uh, the legal community, there's no governing entity. So anyone could be a coach. And so in order to gain credibility, those who take it seriously will go to the certified schools, will get accreditation, and will work towards their higher and higher levels of certification with the International Coach Federation. So, for instance, I'll have, uh, I'm now into year eight of this. Every year I spend time, money, energy, studies, and research into leveling up my game. So, if you look at my site, there's, there's a link that says credentials. I'm extremely proud of that. So whether I'm ICF certified, whether I'm banking my hours, whether I'm logging my hours, whether I'm getting certified with psychometrics, whether I'm studying this stuff, whether I'm curating content, whether I'm uh, curating documents and systems and processes to help my clients reach their potential, that's me being ultra serious about it to the point where I'll say when someone comes, I'm not saying I'm going to help you just achieve your potential and align yourself. No, I have actual tools and science behind this stuff and I'll, and I'll help you through that. I'll guide you through that. And then I'll coach you through to get the results that you want. So anyone who's ICF certified or, or anything along those lines are now cheering for this monologue. Some people who aren't, who don't think that coaching needs to be so, you know, serious or dedicated might not be very happy about what I'm saying. But the truth is I'm now uh, 
with all this work and effort, I'm still not where I want to be in the coaching community. I still have like 800 hours that I have to fill just to get to the minimum requirement of coaching mastery. So it'll, it's like a 10 year plan just to get to something that's not even recognized by 99% of organizations and people. So even if I go to a company or someone comes to me and says, coach me and what makes you a coach, no one cares that I'm ICF certified. No one cares that I'm PCC accredited. No one cares that I'm CPMT with the government of Quebec. No one cares that I'm accredited with the government of Canada. No one cares. No one understands either the impact. Except that... for the coach. Yeah. And so how do you differentiate? Ask the coach if they care. Because I'll tell you, I'm going through hell and back to get these certifications and no one cares, but I'm still doing it. So this is what I call professional pride. This is about building credibility and substance for a domain and a career path that is tarnished with people with business cards. Yes. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you for being an inspiration for people like myself, which are, you know, looking into perhaps going into uh, coaching and I've been, you know, holding myself back for many years, as many of my listeners know, but uh, it seems like I am going to follow your lead. Um, (laughs) But for those of you who don't want to go through this, I will gladly give you a a one hour crash course for $20 and give you a guaranteed certificate of coaching (laughs) international. And you can go ahead and print your, your business cards, but for real, um, the rest of us, we, uh, we take this extremely seriously, maybe perhaps too seriously. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what is it that you really truly do when we talk about, you know, coaching, like, a lot of people think, oh, he just sits down and motivates people and talks and that's it. And But I know that there's so much more and the psychology behind it and the studies and the scientific research that has been come uh, from so many, so many different resources. What do you think you truly do and what would you like to actually do more of? What do I actually do? <laughs> mm. um, According to you, I think the master right? coach would say, "The less you do, the better." Um, there's this. There's this. Um, I don't know if it's an analogy or a story or just this this joke that says that if 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 you're a coach or even a therapist, the simple act of just sitting there and being there to listen and not even responding is hugely beneficial. They call it the lamppost theory, as in, as in, if 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 someone were to be able to walk up to a lamppost and talk to it for an hour mm-hmm. every two weeks, their life would transform. Agreed. So, let's start with um, I'm one thousand percent present. In that moment, no one on this planet cares more about the person in front of me than me. Start there. Yes, yes, that holding space, right? That just that being heard and being seen and being valued as whoever and whatever you are in that moment so that you can feel comfortable opening up and just being you. Go look at my, uh, go look at my Google reviews, the overarching theme. Garen gives a shit. Yeah. So let we, we'll start there. Um, you might throw in the 
connecting the abstract dots together where the client might not have the perspective or the tools or the self-awareness to see it themselves and just reflect it back to them. And that's where I think the studies come in, understanding individuals, their behaviors, their styles, whether it's um, DISC personality styles, MBTI, Carl Jung, uh, William Marston, or going into um, uh, emotional intelligence uh, or, or just behavioral psychology, understanding human motivation and all motives and, and learning from clients and then reflecting back that experience and knowledge back to future clients. That's what I do. I am a hogger of knowledge and I, I hoard it. I have a Google drive with unlimited data of just random images and files and notes that I've taken that I just, I just steal it and I hoard it in my brain. So at any point when my client needs it, I say, Hey, you know what? Here's an idea. What do you think of this theory? What do you think of this idea? And so I'll reflect that back to them as a tool for reflection, not for um, prescription. I'm not there to teach. I'm there to bring up something that I found and say, what do you think of that? Let's learn about that together. If Is there something you don't know that I know? Is there something that I know that you don't know? Is there something that neither of, of us know and we're going to find out together? So that's a little bit of the, the, the methodology that I use when I present content. All this in service of I'm a creator of awareness in the moment it's mm -hmm. my job i'm sorry the about the thing noise we promise yeah it's we all hear. good yeah um in that same thought pattern how do you feel like this is helping people not only uh step up and achieve their potential but perhaps heal from old pains, aches, traumas, wounds, um, mindsets, uh, limiting beliefs, uh, all of that. How so how do we help them, help them survive and thrive? If we were to mm. use some, some, some cliches, we got to watch out because on one side, we're achieving objectives. On the other side, we're healing trauma. Now we're going into psychology realm. So th there's a clear distinction between psychotherapy and coaching. And there's this gray zone. And I don't care what anyone says. There's this gray zone. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I am saying that I have a slew of clients that have gone through the psychotherapy that didn't work, that ended up coming to coaching and said, this is what I needed all along. However, we also have clients in coaching that are not quite yet ready to get to where they need to be. And we say, you need to come here. And so in general, if you had the rule of thumb on one side, the client or the individual is not fully well or ready. And the other side, the client is, is well and ready, just needs that support. On one side, might focus on trauma and overcoming trauma. On the other one, it's overcoming perhaps limiting beliefs and internal barriers. On one side, that? might be, yep. Go ahead. Sorry, please. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, I was just saying that one might have a penchant for past the present. And the other one, while might take inventory of the past and present to look at patterns and and uh, understanding self, the focus might be a little bit more future based. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that, love that. Thank you for that. I think yeah. a lot of people uh, mistake the two and 
want to go to the thriving but have a hard time letting go of what is constantly being repeated in their minds um, as mm-hmm. a habit that they've picked up, right? Yeah. Like anything, we've got um, muscle memory, whether it's positive or negative or um, productive or unproductive or self-sabotaging, it's muscle memory. So yeah, beliefs. I like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, what would you like to do more of with everything that you have, with everything that you know, with all that you've been contributing to people's lives, not only in their work, but in their personal life and in their life at home, naturally, when we change one aspect of life, any change will have a ripple effect of waves towards everything that surrounds that person in their world. So what would you like to do more of? I know that, let me, yeah, let's go there. And I'd like to hear about your new projects coming up eventually mm. through that. Uh, again, I hear a two-pronged question on one side. What what type oh. of work uh, on the other <clears throat> side? What does the future look like? Um, yes. I'll combine them both yeah. and just say that um, I think if, if every coach has in common is I want to help someone else. I, I gain I, – I feel better about self when I help other, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so, and so that driving force of helpfulness, that core core value, perhaps of of of, of being of, in service of others. At some point, you come to to the point where you say, "How can I do more? How can I do more?" It's always about more. I mean, the, it's the law of motivation: better, more, always. So, when when someone in my position is thinking of what's next, it's how do I help more? How do I reach more people um, at the same time so that we can create a larger ripple effect. And so when my career started, it was, it was mostly one-on-one. Now I'm doing one-to-many. So I'm delivering workshops, conferences, and keynotes to anywhere from eight people to 500. However, it's all or almost always corporate. And so there's only a select group of people that are privy to these types of conversations, these types of workshops, these contents and this facilitation. Um, so on that note, the question is how, how do we bring it more to, how do we make it more accessible for everyone? Yes. I'm not saying they want this. I'm not even saying they need this for all I know. They don't even care about this, but for those of, uh, for the people out there who do, who mm-hmm. would like this stuff, but who don't have 1500 bucks. Right. Um, I'm thinking, how do we create a space where it's more of a community, where it's a lot more accessible, it's extremely affordable, and it's a place where we can all learn and grow together with facilitation, of course. So some guidance, but a community of learning and growing. And that's that was the that's that's kind of where inspireship is kicking in. So it's this idea I have where inspireship is like a, a learning community. It's where we take in all the curated content from the corporate work that we do and take it and bring it to everyone. Because in the corporate world, we're talking about the same thing that everyone's dealing with. Yeah. Uh, if there's only one quote that I'm actually happy about in that book that I wrote, I said, before work, there's life. And before life, there's nothing. Business is a construct of, of 
human human mind. We've created this construct mm-hmm. of business and corporations and this whole culture. The truth is, when you go into a corporate workshop or or or, or a public workshop, and there are just a bunch of humans trying to figure this whole thing out, and, and that's become, the idea. We've become accustomed to close ourselves and imprison ourselves within the limits of what they had done with what they had 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And Mm -hmm. somehow it has not um, transformed into, well, in many cases, it has not transformed in many of the corporations or businesses into something that's more um, homogenized in terms of building that communication that was not there in the past and building a system um, or processes that were not implemented properly the first time, hence the bad habits and the bad practices. Yeah, maybe, or, or, or simply it was separated work and life and now Mm -hmm. work life. I mean, thanks to COVID now work life is one. Now we're realizing, Hey, I'm working out of my bedroom. Oh, I'm human during work hours. Yeah, so it's like what, what I've been preaching for 20 years is now becoming reality just, you know, thanks to a virus. But now it doesn't solve the problem. We still need to find balance. We still need to find wellness. We still need to find fulfillment. But those those topics are all coming to the same form now. Yeah. So what do I want to do more of? I, I, I guess more one-to-many, but um, just expanding the audience. From 10,000 to 100,000 to a million or whatever that number might be. And Inspirership is part of that beautiful project that I would love to eventually work on because it seems so fascinating. So we're growing. Pardon me? (laughs) We're growing. Yeah, we're a team of three right now, but uh, uh, with Sarah on board, we're now a team of four. Oh, that Uh, would be lovely. There you go. From four Um, to 44 to 4,000 and beyond. Yes, yes, that would be amazing. So how would people get get involved with that? And how do you see it go in a year down the line, four years down the line, 10 years down the line? What is your idea what is your what is it that inspires you to build this and grow this Mm. what is it during covid i think it comes down to this what is it during covid that has um shifted so many people's minds hearts lives realities uh that we need to work on and that inspireship could actually help Mm. I have a feeling that there's there's somewhat of a parallel world there. I'm wondering if there's an overlap there, but I can tell you what 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 I noticed. So since COVID, March 2020, um, until last April, we went um, uh, with the corporate workshops just exploded. So we we spent about 13, 14 months, 15 months, nonstop, and I mean nonstop, like two workshops a day. I had some time off in the summer and now it's just back with a vengeance. (laughs) We're talking about how do we survive and thrive in change? And these are very changing, uncertain, turbulent times. So everyone's kind of reaching out for the, you know, some stability. So if you're on a boat and the boat rocks, what do you do? 
instinctively you're going to grab on. And so we're doing a lot of that stuff in organizations and beyond. Um, having said that, I'll just throw a number out there just, just to build credibility of what I'm talking about. I probably delivered about 153 hour workshops in the last year. If we were to multiply that with an average of say 10 to 20 participants, we're talking about exposure to 1500 to 3000 or sometimes even five or 10,000, depending on the size of the room. The reason I give these numbers is not to build credibility, but to at least substantiate what I'm telling you now, which is what I've observed by talking to these thousands of people. Mm. Yeah. As in when we talk about what's the single greatest impact of COVID on the workplace and on humanity, or at least the working professional. And the number one impact was the loss of the informal interaction. Mm. That and that I mean, is huge. Oh, it's massive. It's, it's beyond massive. And my job I'm realizing is to keep saying these sentences over and over and over, because now the CEOs are listening and saying, Oh shit. Um, those little pieces that we took for granted are actually negatively impacting the numbers in a big way. Mm -hmm. So my job is to convince the CEOs that the informal interactions, the wellness, the social pieces are, directly correlated with the performance and productivity numbers of the organizations. So bringing it to inspireship and the public, these are conversations we need to be having as in you and I are meeting through zoom and this is fantastic. And you know, it's a good week. If I see five people face to face, mm -hmm. that's a freaking problem. So think of inspireship as a community of like-minded people who all agree that we, we need this social feel um, where they can get together and talk about something that's a little bit more substantial than what's on Netflix oh, or, God, yes, the, or and, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this into a negative thing about no. health, but most people who group together have like a common, a common interests in sports or health or athletics or uh, some sport or activity, but how often do people get together because they have a common view of life, church, cults, anything else, any positive spaces? I'm not saying cults and churches aren't positive, but perhaps a, a new modern different twist to getting people together and mm -hmm. thinking about how we live life. And not only that, but how we actually, um, impact each other through our conversations. If you go through any conversation and it doesn't change you or add to your life, then that conversation, you did not put enough effort in being present or in being uh, an active listener, because I think really we can all make that change um, in every conversation that we have or not to make it heavy to have it in every conversation, but it is something that we can work towards. And I noticed that through my interactions with my clients, uh, as some people know, I've been a massage therapist for the past 10 years. I hold a lot of space. I give some space before a session, after a session, and that space is so important because that's where people allow themselves to put their guards down and actually just speak what's on their heart and their mind, which is 
not very often um, opened. You know, that little Pandora's box that people try to close up with their secrets and their thoughts so safely, so securely, and hold on to it like if it was a treasure. That needs to open up because that's what's going to help um, help that collective healing that we all talk about and help part of that um, shock that everybody went through with COVID, I think, right? Um, yeah. And if I were to tell you that the antidote was a lot more, um, I don't know if the word is benign, but um, the antidote was a lot uh, more harmless of an approach. Um, more people. Yeah, it, it's, um, I know I'm confusing the listeners and you when I say this. So uh, let, let me put it into context. I'll, I'll deliver a workshop. It'll have this snazzy or important title, like leading, managing and thriving in a digital first environment in the 21st century. <sighs> <laughs> and everyone shows up and the energy's down. And I'm like, and the first thing I say is who actually wants to freaking be here? You know? And they're like, Oh, I guess I do. And I'm like, you know, you see the CEO sitting there. He's like, everyone better say you want to be here folks. Um, and then I'll run them into an icebreaker. And you know, they're like, ensure there's team building and ensure there's motivation. And, and, and my icebreaker will be something so stupid, something like I'll break them up into groups of like three and four. And I'll ask a, the dumbest of questions, something like, and I'm going to invent one now just to tell you how, how awesome mm-hmm. these things are. Um, so other than temperature, what's really the difference between a substanceless soup and a smoothie? Now, don't answer this. I want you to debate this in your group. Right. So we're talking about a soup that doesn't have chunks in it. So like it could be like a, a pea, like a like a like a lentil soup, a tomato soup, a, a chicken broth. What's the difference between that and a smoothie? And why is one served in a freaking bowl and why not in a cup to go further? Um, um, is it acceptable to serve soup in a cup? Discuss. And what happens it. is that in these randomized groups, you'll have like. VPs talking to like, you know, level one employees who have no leadership or authority. And they talk about the dumbest things. And that's exactly what I want them to do is talk about stuff that voids all titles, status, power, hierarchy, gender, opinions. Uh, no, we'll keep the opinions, religion, uh, you know, <laughs> other mm-hmm. Other things that we identify and and bring it into something stupid. And the reason I'm saying this extremely long-winded story is that when they come back, the energy is incredible. And at the end of the workshop, I'll always say, what's your takeaway and why is it important? And I'm going to say about 90% of the people who, who, who give me positive feedback from workshops, they say, Garen, you know, the content was amazing, but you know what the best part was? Talking about the soup. What does that tell you about humans in the workplace? So sometimes it's just about talking about soup, but having a facilitator, a guide, starting that conversation in a safe space that gets you to talk about something other than what's on Netflix, how much money did you make, did we reach our quarterlies, did you pick up the kids from school, and what's for dinner? Allowed to get out of that uh, typical mindset of, okay, what's next on my list, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. And allow that creativity and that flow to just yeah. come up yeah. with play. And Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of powerful content we deliver after smoothie. Oh, talk, of course, right? of course, of course. My but team no. and I <laughs> spend hours and years curating content for teaching. But the point but is think, that, yeah, I think that having that icebreaker actually allows people to get out of themselves and in mm-hmm. out of their heads, and that's mm-hmm. what's important when you're actually delivering information and content that will help. Um, a group of CEOs learn how their management or lower management work or mm-hmm. how their employees work because after all we're only all humans right yeah yeah you also mentioned something about you know we're keeping things safe and locked away mm-hmm. and we need to open up that is the biggest theme right now in organizations you know i think in Every speech, I must probably have a five-minute part about psychological safety and how it directly impacts organizational performance. Absolutely. That's, isn't that exactly what you were talking about? There? Yeah, absolutely. Feeling safe to not be judged to express myself, but not only to um, feeling safe of non-judgment to express, but also there is a responsibility that not just everyone feels safe, but everyone gets a chance to talk. Because just because you feel safe doesn't mean you actually do speak. So you got to make sure that the mic comes around. Very true. Very true. And you, you need some form of, I don't know if it's inertia or some someone launching the momentum to say, okay, pass the mic over. And and this needs to be happening in, in workshops. Uh, I'm sorry, not in workshops, in, in boardrooms and meetings, but in, in societies as well, in families and friends. In yeah. every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um. Would you say that kindness and empathetic active listening have anything to do with any of this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know it is kind of like a rhetorical question, obviously, but I I want your take on that because um, I know Mel Robbins, I know um, Katie Byron, I know uh, many other practitioners and um, professionals that actually talk about um, vulnerability, Kindness, empathetic, active listening, uh, mm-hmm. non um, non aggressive communication, um, non verbal communication, which is huge, and that we've lost some of that through the masks, through the lack of um, meeting people, through the fear of connecting uh, handshakes and whatnot, which actually yeah. convey a lot of information. So, what what aspects do you think are really important to not forget for you, for me, for friends, for colleagues, for family, for work, for a better fulfilled, um, fulfilling conversation and growth and exchange in every aspect? two pieces in there one side is the uh, the role we're playing in these interactions the other one you were talking about the nonverbal. um it feels like the virtual workplace makes it very easy for us to disconnect and stay disconnected and 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 i think the scary part is where we find comfort in that disconnection and it's a case of uh, what I want versus what I need. 
Mm. And the symptoms we're seeing in society with people who are just locked away in their rooms working from there. And I'll, I'll, I'll even notice organization-wide culture where I'll be delivering a workshop and out of 30, 40, 50 people, three turn on their cameras. Then I'll work with another organization. Everyone turns on their cameras. How are we supposed to connect when you can't even see each other? What a, what a shame. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 and why do we feel so safe in that disconnection? And what's the default outcome? As in, what, what's the cost of staying that way long term? What does that do to your psyche? Yeah. When you talk about uh, active listening and empathy and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe a different conversation on that one. That was active the big listening. one, I know. Uh, when we talk about active listening, empathy, and, and yada yada we're talking about the tools we need to increase and maximize the effectiveness of communication and when i say the word communication um we have to understand that the word communication like the other big words we brought up earlier um is often misinterpreted garen's a great communicator no garen might be an eloquent speaker Mm -hmm. there's a difference communication would be perhaps better defined as the, if we were to replace the word communication and replace it with the word understanding would be a little bit more accurate. And so effective communication is the listener and the speaker truly understanding each other. And so the message that's being delivered is being received and interpreted almost exactly the way it was being sent. And you notice I use the word almost. Mm-hmm. We must perhaps adopt and accept the truth that no two humans are alike. And because of nurture and nature, no two humans will truly ever achieve 100% understanding, but we must strive towards maximizing that number. So ultimate effective communication, 100% ish understanding of each other. So why is active listening important why is empathy important why is reflecting questions important why is asking questions important why is not imposing opinions advice or 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 making it unsafe important because we're looking for authentic communication and authentic understanding and deep understanding and empathy allows us to do that do you think that with everything that's going on in the world right now everybody is on a empathetic overload and uh, information overstimulation to the point that overload as as in it's becoming hot topic not only that it's becoming hot topic but there are so many things that come and break our hearts um you know the everything that happened last year all the riots all around the world whether it's from um the environmental disasters to um, you know the killings and the fights and yeah. the wars and the you know taking yeah. over and all the politics and all of that like it 
how are we to um, manage all of that, worry about all of that, or be conscious about all of that without burning ourselves out? Because I see that a lot today. And um, a lot of people go, oh, but there's this. Oh, but there's that. And they get so passionate and so riled up and worked up. And then there's no more energy to actually do anything about it. But there's a lot of talk. And they end up saying, oh, but I don't know. I'm so depressed. The world is shit. And where am I going? Yeah, you bring up a good point. But let's just focus on the the important piece you brought up is that empathy might equal suffering. Hmm. Um, So why isn't every psychotherapist on suicide watch? Hmm. Why isn't every coach on suicide watch? Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to separate empathy and emotional attachment. I could be empathetic. Yes. But detach emotionally from the pain that you're suffering, which allows me to be effective in my job. If I emotionally attach myself, I'm no longer effective as a coach. I'm now suffering with you. Yeah. It's kind of like the doctors that are not supposed to treat their own family, right? I can't coach family members. No, absolutely not. It's impossible. You have to, you have too much stake in the outcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, empathy overload. I don't think it's empathy overload. I think it's emotional attachment overload. I like the ability that. to let go. Yeah. That is. What's it a... like to be you without having to actually feel your pain, but to see the world through your eyes and to help guide you out of the woods? Simply because I'm not suffering, I can then help you get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're coming to time and you've been so generous um, with your time. Thank you so much. I would keep on talking and probably hopefully have you uh, another time for another uh, session. Thank you. Um, But if there was something that you would recommend or would what would you like to tell people out there that are listening to us and that are saying, well, what do I need to do to work harder and be happy? You know, happy people work hard. <laughs> <laughs> happy or people work what harder. What do I yeah. need to do to find uh, my path? There seems to be a lot of people that are either depressed, burnt out, overworked, um, tired, fatigued. Uh, very overly uh, ambitious and then get lost in all the projects that they have. I Mm. myself part of that. Um, What would you say the few, what would you say would help us find our center and our grounding so that we can learn to thrive instead of survive in a world where everything seems so temporary i'm hearing again two pieces in this one Uh, the first one is how do i align myself with my path quote unquote um the other one is how do i find balance which of the two would you like to Mm. tackle which of the two do you think that according to all the people that you've met would need to be tackled as a question Mm. 
I think you have more uh, feedback on that <clears throat> according to your uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. I think, I think, uh, every, everyone needs both. And, um, just because you find your path doesn't mean you find balance. If anything, it ruins your balance. When, when, when who you are and what you do are aligned, your life and your work become one, um, theoretically and practically your path or, what you do would be defined by two factors. One, what are you great at? And two, what lights you up? And so if we're to just take those and bunch them into the words of, you know, powers and passions, which is what I wrote in the book, or, you know, strengths, abilities, natural uh, capabilities, and be anything that sparks you emotionally, anything that, that gets you going. Um, we can simplify it by saying, if you're great at what you do, do, but you don't enjoy it, that's called a job and it feels tedious. Ugh. If you love what you do, but you're not good at it, it's called a hobby and you find them at the karaoke bars. Your passion outweighs your talents. You're, you, you love it, but you're just not good enough to earn an, a steady income with it. If you can find both. Now you're doing something that allows you to achieve success and satisfaction. And the V that you'll see in the book is values. The values tell you not what you're going to do, but how you're going to express that profession. And so my strengths and my passions might tell me that I'm a coach. My values tell me who I work with, what causes I work towards, mm. what ecosystem I'm in, what kind of lifestyle I want to be living, which core values will drive my behaviors as a coach. Right? So alignment coming there. Um, however, when you figure out who you are um, and AKA what you do, and that becomes one, that vocation, that calling becomes this purpose. And you find yourself working day and night and weekends. And it's almost from the outside, it looks almost obsessive. And to demonstrate this, you might have, your strengths and passions that, that might be two different things that you merge together and it becomes something. But sometimes if you look at any human that's achieved any greatness, you can find something in common. And this is something I noticed is that if you were to create a list of everything you're good at and make a list of everything that lights you up, if you find a word that finds it, that lands in both columns, one word that stands out in both, I call that, like the, you know, like you're in the zone. That's like the ultimate sweet spot. And I want you to think about anyone who's done any greatness since the dawn of human humanity. You'll see that there's a word that kind of stands out for both. For instance, um, Michael Jordan, good at basketball or loves basketball? Loves basketball. Not good. He's great at basketball. Exactly. In fact, he loves. he's stellar. He, he, his level of passion and um, capabilities are through the roof, which made him one of the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. However, look perhaps to um, certain athletes that might have incredible talent, but are lacking a little bit on that passion. What happens? They're good, but they're not great. They might even fizzle out. In hockey, there's Alexandra Degg. He made it to the NHL. He was one of the top prospects few years later, he, he just skipped out on the league and went to Hollywood. 
You could be great, but if it doesn't light you up, you won't achieve anything. Bill Gates, good at computers, loves it. Both. Steve Jobs, same thing. Think about Gandhi and think about the two words that stand out for Gandhi. Think about uh, Barack Obama. And which word would fall into both of those columns? So when, when, when those two are supercharged, that's when you can achieve greatness. However, at the peril of balance, if you look at all of these people that achieve greatness, they have no balance. What they do and who they are become one, and it becomes extremely difficult to separate work and life. So it's the, it's the paradox. If I were to find my calling, how do I find balance? How do I separate work and life? Mm-hmm. And do I want to? Which I think a lot of people mistaken for, oh, well, if I work hard enough and if, if I work long enough and if I get those extra hours and maybe I'll become successful, yet not realizing if it's not feeding them in some way, then yeah. it's not going to get where, get them where they want to go, really. Cause, exactly. Yeah, ultimately exactly. it's exactly. not there. Right. So uh, uh, maybe we can end this uh, yes. talk with a, a, There's a question. There's so much I would keep on I'll going on. With the question. Like, but. Um, it's a question that comes up. I brought it in the TED Talk and I brought it in the book. And it's probably the most important question because you mentioned, you know, if I do this, then I might. Um, and the question actually is, what do you actually want? What do you really want? Because then you can start defining your success and perhaps what you're doing is not exactly what's going to get you where you want to be. And that's a big part of what we do as coaches is help clarify and redefine what people actually want. And their perceptions of what they actually have or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, next topic might go into hedonic adaptation and how that's causing everything that's wrong with the world today and why more is always more and more and more. And people don't seem to understand that more eventually leads you off the edge of the cliff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that would go to another day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just to finish up, I'm obviously we could find you on Instagram. Garen dot Jamian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. And your website, triple W. GarenJamian.com. Jamian.com. And is there anything for Inspireship? Inspireship right now is, is the brand I'm using for my public speaking. Uh, you can, you can find it on my website under uh, team performance or just workshops and training. So that's kind of, it's going to be like the little cocooning phase as I, I grow that out into, into something bigger and better. So for now, it's just the branding I'm using for all my public speaking arrangements. But uh, as we expand and, and go more perhaps to uh, towards the public, it'll have its own private little home. I love that. And your wonderful book, uh, Happy People Work Harder, um, where can we find that on Amazon? Or yeah, if you just uh, or if you just go on my website, you can find a link uh, at the bottom of the page, or just Amazon.com or .ca. Um, you just type in the words, and uh, you'll you'll find it right there. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah. And what is one thing that I don't know that I should know that you would like to finish off on? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What don't you that know that you should thing. know? Yeah. Ah. Uh, 
What is it that I don't know that uh, everybody would want to know about you, about coaching, about life, about finding balance, about grounding, about healing, about motivation, about any of the above, uh, anything. The uh, first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is that the more I know, the more I realize I know absolutely nothing. Um, and which, which is a strange feeling as I gather intelligence and, and experience. I, I also relinquish attachment to knowledge. So maybe what I'd like to say is that oftentimes what we're looking for is right here in front of our noses. But if you'll notice, your eyes can't see in front of your nose. Totally agree. Yeah. And which 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 brings me perhaps to the most uh, unfortunate truth um, that oftentimes it's not about learning something new. It's about being aware of something you already knew but forgot. And perhaps unlearning some of the things that we've learned along the way as <laughs> crutches. That, that I, I wouldn't argue that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unlearning a lot of that, those crutches that we've been accustomed to hold yeah. on to yeah i'll and leave that up to a uh, peyote to sort out for people <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot faster garen every time we have conversations it's always so rich in insight and golden nuggets and i really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to meet and do this and i hope that all the listeners uh take the time to listen up to the end because i find that there's always so much to unravel in our conversations, and I really appreciate it. Looking forward to our next meeting once again. I will put all the information to get in touch and uh, get in more um, from you, including the Instagram and mm. uh, the website and all on the uh, show notes. And uh, I, is there anything else that I missed or that you would like to say before we <laughs> no and on? i'm terrible at self-promotion i'll be honest so um just uh if if you're listening i hope this was helpful i really hope that it was helpful i i hope that you you felt that we were being honest and authentic i hope that this resonated with you um and if you need any type of help or guidance or whatever it is or if you have any questions just feel free to reach out or uh, we do not bite Wonderful. Thank you so much, Garen. Where, wherever you are, dear listener, whether you're at home, in the car, uh, driving, biking, morning, afternoon, evening, I wish you a wonderful, wonderful morning, day, or night, and many blessings for the rest of your week.